This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to Mayflower Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you happen to be here in the sanctuary with us, if you could please find that friendship register and pass it along, that would be great. For those of you joining us on our live stream, guess what? You have an e-friendship register. This is new. So we'd love for you to fill out, uh, click on that tab and fill that out so we know who is worshiping with us this morning. And I hope you notice the prayer cards in the pew rack in front of you. If you have a praise or a prayer request to share this morning in the service, or one you would like to add to our weekly prayer list, please fill out that card. And the ushers will be collecting them uh, during our middle hymn this morning. Additionally, if you would simply like some personal prayer this morning, please know that I will be available up front here after the post this morning. As always, we hope you're finding all kinds of interesting things in the bulletin about what's happening around Mayflower. And here this morning is Rachel Cooley to share about an event on October 31st that potentially involves all of us. Rachel? Thank you, Ruth. In your bulletin, you found a flyer. We are hosting the very first annual Trunk or Treat on Sunday, October 31st, which is Halloween. And so that afternoon, if you have littles that trick-or-treat, please bring them in their costume to come and trick-or-treat. And if you don't have littles, please come to our parking lot with a trunk full of candy or chips or cans of pop or trinkets, whatever you'd like to give as a trick-or-treat treat. So this is something that we would love for the whole church to participate in and be a part of. So also in your bulletin and in the atrium, I'm sure you've noticed, our Eden Ministries focus this month. This is our final Sunday to focus on that particular ministry. And we were allotted 63 children to sponsor at Eden's. We have 30 left. So... Get busy, everybody. Find their photos in the their stories in their photos in the atrium. This is our only global outreach partner, and we've been invested with them for over 17 years. And Ginger Young has been a part of this ministry for quite a while, and she's going to talk about her experience. Thank you, Ginger. Good morning. Quite often, the Holy Spirit touches our hearts and we may choose to listen to that calling or ignore it. Sometimes the call is loud and cannot be ignored. Such was the case when we were touched by God and told that it was time for us to fully commit and sponsor a child from Eden Village. Unlike the previous stories you've heard from other Mayflower members who have generously sponsored children for many years, this summer was the first time that we, as a couple, decided that it was our turn to step up and make a difference in the life of a child in Zimbabwe. Like many of you, we have heard about Eden Village for many years and read of the opportunities for sponsoring a child. However, until now, we were not compelled to do so. Further, I have been a part of the Thursday morning Bible study who has sponsored Netsai as her grannies for a number of years and always felt great compassion for the young orphan girl from Eden who had fallen into a fire during an epileptic seizure. She sadly suffered extensive burns to her arm and mouth, 
rendering her arm unusable until someone from Mayflower worked with the Shriners and was able to bring her to the United States for multiple surgeries to repair the burn damage and return to Zimbabwe to finish her education at Eden. Today, she again has the use of her arm and a beautiful smile. Over the years, she endured pain, shame, and suffering on a journey to adulthood. Now, as a young woman, she has aged out of Eden Village, but is living a good and fruitful life thanks to the prayers, generosity, medical intervention, and an army of encouragers and supporters, including the grannies of the Thursday morning Bible study, and of course, through God's grace and healing love. This spring, our Bible study group decided it was time to once again pool our funds and adopt not one, but two Eden orphans. When we received information about all of the new children who are now at Eden due to the closing of another orphanage, we were not only touched by their stories, but overwhelmed with sadness for the deplorable treatment they had endured throughout their young lives. Bill and I read the background information and history on a number of the orphans and knew it was time for us to step forward. Eden Village has been performing miracles and changing lives for many years but now they have been overwhelmed with this new influx of abused and abandoned children who needed a home, a place to be fed physically and spiritually, and a sanctuary where they were safe from harm and could heal, learn, and feel God's love. We had to be part of that process. The child we are sponsoring is a 15-year-old girl by the name of Nancy Kamudambu, who came to Eden about a year ago. At 15, she had never attended school. Her father and mother are unknown, though it is believed that her mother is deceased, and at one point she had been living with an aunt where she suffered neglect and abuse and was chased away from that home to fend for herself. There she was found homeless with her meager possessions in a ragged bag and no one to care for her. Her story, though similar to others at Eden, is one of heartbreak and abuse. We know that our donation is only a very small piece of the care she will receive, but it helps. And it also helps that we are praying for Nancy and knowing that she is getting the best possible care and support, learning English, and finally getting a desperately needed education. We don't know if she will recover from the emotional trauma she has suffered, but we do know that she is in the right place to get the love and support she needs on her path to adulthood. Never has the need been so great as it is now at Eden Village. We pray for all the children, all the adults who touch their lives on a daily basis, and we pray that Mayflower can make a difference for these children on a journey of recovery, rejuvenation, and hope. If you feel the Holy Spirit calling you, I encourage you to listen. Our blessed lives are so removed from those who live in circumstances that are beyond our comprehension we can only listen for God to call us to share our gifts and resources and in some small way to ease their burden and give them love while praying for a future free from the agonies they have suffered. It is an honor to be able to sponsor Nancy. We look at her smiling face, her big, beautiful eyes, and know that she is a gift to us, and we pray that we can be a blessing to her. Thank you, Ginger. That was beautifully said.
So I just pray that you will have an opportunity after the service to just go in the atrium and just read a couple of the stories of the children hanging there and not to distance yourself from them like they're cartoon characters or live in some other world. They're alive today, humans doing the image of God just like you and I. So please take a moment to do that. I now want to welcome Dr. Julia Brown with a word about today's music. wonderful to have our youth and children here singing as well as our adults today. The youth in Trite like last week connects with our Eden Ministry Outreach, a song from Zimbabwe. And then our younger children uh, respond to the first part of the sermon today. It's a sermon in five different parts, so it'll be a little bit different the way um, the service uh, flows. But uh, the music responds to each one of those sections of the story. So today's anthem, we broke it up into two parts. Um, it's a beautiful setting by a one of the well-known uh, romantic British composers, Edward Berstow, and he sets Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence is a text that we know, that we sing, that's in our hymnal, uh, which dates back to the 5th century. Um, but the music is different, and it is so expressively set uh, to show the awe and the mystery and the majesty of that text. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 104. Oh God, how fantastic you are. You are clothed in glory and grandeur. You wear light like a robe. You open the skies like a curtain. You make the clouds your chariot and ride on the wings, wings of the wind. You set the earth on its foundation so that it shall never be shaken. 
Lord, you have done so many things. You have made the earth overflow in wonder. We praise you with every bit of ourselves. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, you have granted us power in your name. 
You have told us to be bold in your name. Help us this morning to understand what this means for us today. Help us to experience you in ways we never have before. May this change us and empower us to be more like you. Amen. scripture readings this morning all come from the book of Acts, chapter 4, and these passages can be found on page 773 of your Pew Bible. We encourage you to open to that page to follow the narrative as Rachel, Steve, and I all offer reflections on the text this morning. So let's begin with Acts, chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? By what power or what name? These leading Jewish rulers questioned Peter and John as to how they healed the man who could not walk. In Greek grammar structure, the you is meant to be derogatory. You. How could someone like you do this? How could someone as unqualified as Peter do something so amazing? By what power or what name? This question implies that the apostles did not perform miracles, like healing the man, by their own strength. Doing something in someone's name is not like abracadabra, say that ten times fast, surprise, you're healed. It means assuming the person's status, authority, and power. The presumption that you have the same will as that person. Jesus gave his disciples permission to do things, to perform miracles in his name. We have that same permission. Luke, the author of Acts, writes in chapter 1 that the apostles received power, dynamis, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, signifying powerful deeds, signs, and wonders. Essentially, they continued doing the awesome deeds that Jesus did while on earth. We have access to that same power, too. But look at who's asking the question of Peter and John. Leaders who are threatened. There's a concern on the part of the questioners about a potential rival power or name or religious movement. One could, that could threaten their precious Jewish rule and power. Perhaps a threat to their status quo. 
Interestingly enough, those same questioners proclaim to be worshipers of God. They are Jewish rulers, of course. Yet they can't fathom that this power is the same one true God that Peter and John are calling on. How small was their faith? How small was their view of God's power? How small is ours? This power, this name, threatens systems that are not of God. This power, this name, is not of this world. This power and this name changes everything. I'd like to invite all the other children worshiping with us to come forward for the children's message. Hello, friends. So today's service is a little different. There are five sermons. And we get to be one of them. So this is the Bible verse that's going to go with our part of the sermon. It comes from Acts 4, verses 10 and 12. It says, We want all of you and all the Jewish people to know that this man was made well by the power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. This man was crippled but is now well through the power of Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can save people. 
His name is the only power in the world that's been given to save people. We must be saved through him. Now, that verse in the Bible is called the gospel. Does anyone know what the word gospel means? I know. I didn't either. Sometimes in church we use words and we use them a lot and we think we know what they mean. I had no idea. So I looked it up and the gospel means good story. Have any of you ever read a good story? Yeah, me too. All right, so I have some good stories with me. And I want you to raise your hand if you've read this good story. Go, Dog, Go by Dr. Seuss. Okay, okay. And adults too. If you've read this story, Go, Dog, Go. All right, so look around. It's a popular one. It's a good story. All right, I have another. Hands down. If you give a pig a party... Anyone? Okay. A little fewer. Not quite so popular. Okay. How about Llama Llama Red Pajama? Oh, yeah. That one came back, too. Nice. All right. Now, this may be a little bit older for some of you, but how about Charlotte's Web? Look out in the pews. A lot of Charlotte's Web. Little House on the Prairie? Anyone? Little House on the Prairie? Good. This is more of a grown-up one. So kids, watch the pews in the choir. How about the diary of Anne Frank? I bet almost everyone raises their hands. Now this next book, this is the top sixth most popular book ever. Ever, ever. Harry Potter. Who has read Harry Potter? All right. There have been 125 million copies of Harry Potter sold. So all the books I've raised up are good stories. Can we agree? Yep. But did any of those books make everyone in this entire room raise their hand? No. Okay, now watch. Has anyone in this room read anything out of the Bible? Look around. Every single one of us have read something out of the Bible. The Bible has been the number one best-selling story for the last 35 years. And I'm going to tell you how many Bibles have been sold. Five billion. Five, I know, whoa, is right. Five billion Bibles have been sold. So if we look at all these books and we look at all these great stories, I've got to say that God's story is the best story there is. Will you pray with me, please? God, we're so thankful that you chose us to share your story with and that we get to keep reading it over and over and you share more and more of who you are through it. May we always, always see you as the best story of all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, choir friends, you guys are going to be up and at them and get your choir robes off. So all choir friends, you could stand and go with Miss Abby. Everybody else, if you want to stand and come with me, we're going to go downstairs to Bible Alive and Bible Beginnings.
I was reading a bit this week about the Augusta National Golf Club. My daughter and family just in August moved to within a two-hour drive of Augusta, Georgia. And all of a sudden, they've begun to hear some from some friends that say, Oh, we'd like to come and see your new place. How would it be in early April? Yeah. They want to get to the masters. You know, we we uh, associate golf clubs with um, kind of exclusive status. Um, perfectly manicured lawns, beautiful scenery, big comfortable clubhouses, cocktails, elegant dinners. According to what I read, membership in the Augusta National Golf Club, an entry fee, ranges from $250,000 to $500,000. Membership is strictly by invitation only. And one way to assure you will not be invited is to let the word get out that you'd like to be invited. You know, the old uh, comedian Gracha Marx said, I would never join any club that would allow me to be a member. So, a little bit on the opposite end of that. But there were no such membership requirements in the early church. It was open to all who would come not to a club, but to a movement that was beginning to gather momentum and would begin to sweep around the world. So in this text that we're looking at in Acts 4, we come to verse 13. Now when they saw, they being the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Jewish people, saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. And they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And when they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So in verse 18, they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. If you stood in front of a group of people to defend your way of life, Do you think people would recognize you as having hung out with someone or come from a particular environment? They, the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the day, saw that they had been with Jesus. If you would have hung out with me this past week, you would have known about my favorite baseball team you probably would have known a lot more than you wanted to know about my favorite baseball team. But if you want to know more, feel free to ask me after the service. But I'm not sure that you would know too much more about me. The disciples, they weren't recognized by their fine clothes, their education, their political interests, their financial status but just that they had been with Jesus. Would people look at our life and recognize 
that we have been with Jesus. Wonderful author Henry Nowen wrote a, a little book. I think it's not much more than 30 or 40 pages. One of those good books. It's called The Living Reminder. And in it, he asked the question, what are the real spiritual resources of Christians? What is it that can prevent Christians from becoming dull and sullen and lukewarm bureaucrats, filled with projects and plans and appointments and busyness, but people who somehow have lost their zeal and energy? And then now it calls us to be people who are reminders of Jesus. Healing reminders. For those like those children in Zimbabwe and people that we encounter every day who are wounded and need healing, who need the touch of Jesus. Sustaining reminders of Jesus. People who will be there day after day, whatever we might encounter, to help us on the way. Guiding reminders. People who in the darkness, when we just don't know the way to go, will lead us toward the light. They saw that they had been with Jesus. And then they ordered them, those rulers did, that they were not to speak anymore in Jesus' name.
Our fourth reading is Acts 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. What are things we can't stop speaking about? Well, for me, I'm an avid reader. I love that Rachel used books in her reflection this morning. I love books. There have been times in my life when this has actually been a bit of a problem. Several years ago, I read all nine of Susan Howitch's thick books about the Church of England. I became so entrenched in her world, I, I may have started speaking with a bit of a British accent. I love reading. I love books. I love talking about books. If I'm particularly enamored with a tome, I tell everyone I know about it. I try to get all my readerly friends to read it so we can chit-chat about it and have lively discussions. Perhaps you are like this also. Or perhaps you have a favorite team, like Steve and his beloved Atlanta Braves. And when you watch your team accomplish a sweet victory or have a radical turnaround in a game that seemed destined for loss, it's just so remarkable you can't shut up about it, right? This is the spirit of the verse I just read in Acts. Peter and John have had a front row seat to the unstoppable, unfathomable, outrageously fantastic power of the living God. And they just can't keep quiet about it. They cannot keep speaking about what they have seen and heard. This is inspiring in the sense that what they saw and heard was so incredible. The gospel truly is the best story ever. But it's also a challenge for us today, isn't it? What are we obsessed with? What captures our fancy? What is so beautiful and life-giving and remarkable that we can't stop talking about it? Are we people who are looking for the ways in which God's power is on full display? Are we people who are witnesses to this power at work in our lives and the lives of others? Are we passionate about how God transforms and redeems and heals? May this be so. May we, Mayflower, be a people who cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard.
So as the story unfolds, Peter and John are released by the Sanhedrin. And the chapter concludes with these words in verse 23 to the end. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they, their friends, heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. And down in verse 29, their prayer continues. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Victor Frankl was another man who survived the horrors of the Holocaust. Sent to a concentration camp when he was a young married man. Never to see his wife again. On his release... He established a psychiatric practice in Vienna, wrote many books, became an influence that was known and appreciated around the world. This man who had such horrors done to him said this, between the stimulus, what is done to us or what is said about us or, you know, something out there that happens to us. And response, our reaction to what happens. There is a space, and in that space is our power to choose our response. And he says, in our response lies our growth and our freedom. The response of those early believers to the threats of the authorities, to imprisonment, to beatings, was to pray for boldness. And God heard that prayer and they spoke the word, it says, with all boldness. I think it's quite remarkable and well worth noting that that band of early followers, they didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray that their opposition would be destroyed. They didn't pray for more money. They didn't pray for power or even influence. But rather that they be bold to speak that good story. They realized that there would be a temptation to blend in, to be a mirror of their surroundings. 
But if they were to reflect Jesus, if they were to be like people who had been with Jesus, they must be bold. Annie Dillard, in wonderful wonderful works, wonderful, wonderful writings, said, speaking of the church and kind of the way we go about church in our day, she says it's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may someday awake and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. And they spoke the word. With all boldness. Amen.
God of love, we know that all good things come from you. As we return these gifts to you, we pray that they will bring you joy. We pray that you will show us how to use them to serve you, your church, and your people, that you may be glorified. We pray this in the name of the one who models servant love for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to thank you for filling out the prayer cards. I know this is a new thing that we just started this fall. Um, For the past several weeks, they've been a real blessing to me as I get the joy of reading each of them. What you write and how you express your desire to be a community of prayer is really quite amazing. And each Sunday, some of you have come forward for personal prayer. It's a holy space and we hold it together, so thank you. We have focused much of our service today on the power of this phenomenal gospel story and our invitation to join in it, find our place in it, and to be bold. This might seem kind of out there to some of you, and some of you might be saying, finally! (laughs) One thing I can say for sure is everything we do needs to be bathed in prayer. We don't pray because we change God, as C.S. Lewis famously said. We pray because it changes us. So let's pray together. Holy One, change us. This is a simple plea, but a profound one. Change us. Grant us the power you promised to those first disciples. Empower us to be bold, to speak as to how you have transformed us. And in this season of transition for Mayflower, as we seek new leadership, and as every cultural study in America is reporting that the Church of Jesus is shrinking, Help us to remember and embody this reality that it's not a building you intend to fill. It's our hearts. This is what you want. Once our hearts are full of you, the sky is the limit. Once we step into your power, that power that comes with your name, the gospel, the good news that we get to proclaim, the boldness we can live into, wow, nothing can hold us back. Bring us to a place of unleashing this power this passion, and this unity. Help us as we step back and wonder as all, at all you have done through us. When your Holy Spirit invades our souls and our collective will, this place will never be the same. So we invite you now to change and transform us. Continue to help us grow in our love and passion for you. And as people of prayer calling on this transforming spirit, We lift up the praises and petitions that have been brought to us this morning. In particular, we pray for the Shad family. We prayed for them last week as Cindy was failing. And Lord, she has now been released back into your arms of love. We thank you that her suffering is over, but our hearts break for the grieving family and friends. Be with them in their time of mourning. And Lord, we lift up the Bozalski family. Many of us have been touched by Mary. She is a secretary in the Lakeside Elementary School office. She is part of our community. And Lord, we don't know why, but this week you called home her seven-year-old granddaughter. We don't even know what to do with that kind of grief and all the questions, so we lay them at your feet. 
And we pray in your supernatural power that you wrap that family in those arms of love so tightly that they don't question that they are held. And Lord, we know lots of people walk through the doors into the sanctuary and are watching us via live stream carrying all kinds of burdens. And we pray for your healing spirit to lift those burdens. And we pray for those in our community who have to make very big decisions, who are holding the tension of the what-ifs and now-when. Lord, we pray for wisdom and we pray for peace. We have so much to be grateful for. Help us not to ever forget that. But as we lay these prayers at your feet and we lift up these prayers of gratitude, we know in all things that you love us so much. And it's in that spirit of love we join all of our voices and hearts together to pray the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father.
to remind you that at the close of the postlude, Pastor Ruth will be here to pray with anyone who would like to pray with her. And now, as we go, may we bring Christ to one another, stepping aside to make room for those who have been left out, seeking not to be served, but to serve. And as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit go with us all this day and every day.